Hello. From Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, and this is Womanica. Welcome to season three. For those of you tuning in for the first time, here's the deal. Every weekday, we're talking about the women we should have learned about growing up, but probably didn't. So this month, our theme is back to school. We're talking about amazing educators and intellectuals. Our woman of the day today is someone who revolutionized higher education for women. She saw the bias built into the U.S. college system and worked to make schooling more accessible. Today, women who attend U.S. universities still use many of the practices she put in place, probably without even knowing it. Let's talk about Mary Bunting. Mary was born in Brooklyn in 1910. She was one of four children born to Mary Shotwell Ingram and Henry Ingram, a couple that highly valued education. Mary Shotwell Ingram, our protagonist's mother, was president of the Young Women's Christian Association and a member of the New York City Board of Higher Education. Henry was a lawyer and one of the co-founders of Long Island College of Medicine. Despite being the child of two educators and a future top educator herself, Mary didn't like school all that much growing up. She experienced a lot of sickness as a child and didn't attend classes regularly until high school. Even then, she once said of school, I was glad to get rid of it in the afternoon and get back to something interesting. Even so, Mary went on to study well beyond high school. She received an undergraduate degree in physics at Vassar College and a master's and doctorate in agricultural bacteriology at the University of Wisconsin. There, she also met her husband, Henry Bunting, through their common interests of hiking and birdwatching. The couple married in 1937 and moved to Connecticut, where they raised four children together. Henry became faculty at Yale University, and Mary turned to her own research on the effects of radiation on bacteria. During this time, Mary remained invested in educational pursuits. She served on library and school boards. Over the years, Henry's health declined. In 1954, he died of brain cancer. Less than a year after Henry's death, Mary was offered a new opportunity to become Dean of Douglas College, the women's college of Rutgers University, where she was a professor. In 1958, Mary was invited to a National Science Foundation committee created to improve the nation's performance in the field of science. In a series of tests designed to figure out what blocked strong students from continuing into careers in science, Mary saw a big problem. Of all of the 16 to 19-year-olds who scored in the top 10% on aptitude tests and then did not go on to college, 98% were women. At the time, women had serious barriers to access college education. Endowments for women's colleges were much lower than those of their male counterparts. Perhaps most importantly, curriculum requirements didn't accommodate the different societal expectations for women. For example, many universities made it nearly impossible for students to attend part-time. As a result, women who had to care for children during the day at home could not attend. Mary made it her mission to redesign the education system to accommodate and encourage women to study. She got her first chance at serious reform when, in 1960, 
she became president of Radcliffe College, the undergraduate women's college at Harvard University. There, she saw the stark differences between the ways men and women were treated on the same campus. Women were given bunk beds in assigned rooms rather than Harvard's house system, and they were excluded from Harvard's libraries and dining halls. Mary set about changing the campus. She organized the dorms into a house system, built Radcliffe its own library, and created search committees to go into low-income neighborhoods and offer scholarships to potential students. She also created the Radcliffe Institute for Independent Study in 1961. This was a historic shift in funding women's education. It supported research into women's studies and supported the work of female artists, scientists, and scholars, regardless of their marital or familial responsibilities at home. Today, we know it as the Bunting Institute. Mary cultivated a connection to her students as well. She was a well-known figure both for her strong attitudes on institutional change and for her particularities. Some stories say she brought two unforgettable pets with her to Radcliffe House, a beehive and a cow. If her porch light was on, it was a well-known sign on campus that Mary's door was open for study sessions, heart-to-hearts, and simple chats. In 1972, Mary successfully established the co-residency of Harvard and Radcliffe Colleges. This meant women attending Radcliffe could live on Harvard's campus, and men attending Harvard could do the same at Radcliffe. Full integration between the two schools wouldn't occur until 1999. After achieving co-residency, Mary retired as president in 1972. She married her second husband, Dr. Clement A. Smith, a Harvard faculty member, in 1979. In her later years, she went on to consult at Princeton and on government advisory boards. After six years of failing health, Mary died in 1998 at the age of 87. She forever changed the world of education. All month, we're going back to school, talking about women who are educators and intellectuals around the world. For more on why we're doing what we're doing, check out our newsletter, Womanica Weekly. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Womanica. Special thanks to Liz Kaplan, my favorite sister and co-creator. Talk to you tomorrow. This month of Encyclopedia Womanica is proudly supported by UNC Greensboro. Founded as a women's college in 1891, UNC Greensboro presents She Can, We Can, Beyond the Women's Suffrage Centennial. Through performances, films, lectures, and concerts, UNCG examines how the decisions from our past affect us today. Join the experience and learn more at shecanwecan.uncg.edu.